on what sets the Bible apart from any other book. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. There is no book on the planet Earth that is alive. And you can't even say it like the Bible because there's no other book, period, that's alive. You can go down to the Aurora Library and search every single book on the shelf. And unless you pull the Bible off the shelf, all of those books are dead. Only the Bible is alive. There's no book, no commentary, no dictionary, no novel, no encyclopedia. There is no other book that God has given that has life except for the Bible. This book, the one that's on your lap, the one that's on your phone, the one that's on your iPad, there is no other book that imparts life to its hearers than the Word of God. This is amazing grace. You may have noticed that we'd love to open, study, and then encourage you to apply God's Word here at Abounding Grace. And today, we're about to discover why that's so important as we see a marvelous description of the Bible. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly. Many of us have several Bibles at home, but sadly, about the only time we open it is at church on Sunday. If you're like some Christians and have a lackluster devotional time with the Lord, today's study is tailor-made for you Ed will show us the enormous benefits of having a regular time in God's Word. And as we open Hebrews 4 together, we're going to observe a couple of fantastic descriptions of God's Word. So let's lean in and hear what Pastor Ed has to say. Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue our study through the book of Hebrews in a Bible study today that I've entitled, The Bible is Living and Powerful. So pick up with me in verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I really love this section of Hebrews because we're learning about the rest of God that's promised to us. A real rest of God that's only found in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We've learned that true rest of God is not found in the promised land, in the physical land of Israel. It's not found in a religious system. It's not found in Judaism. It's not found in following a leader. It's not found in some doctrine. It's not found in some interpretation of doctrine. It's not found in some special knowledge. Real rest is found only in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're learning with the Hebrews here that they're being tempted to turn back away from Jesus. And I'm always encouraged that God would give us his word and connect us with a group of people separated by a couple thousand years that were going through the same thing that we go through. Now, the reason why might be different, 
But there's always that temptation to go backwards, and that's where they're faced. They want to leave the true rest of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many listening to me today are really tempted to leave the rest that is yours in Jesus Christ to go do something else in this world, in this culture. To turn away from Jesus Christ to do your own thing once again. To turn away from Jesus Christ and perhaps even to create your own little religion with your own little idolatry, which we never really think of, but really when you turn your back on Jesus Christ, something or someone is going to fill that void. We as believers are promised rest. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to those that are weary and heavy laden, he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. He promises it to us. And we as believers have a rest that's promised, a place, a position, where we're no longer striving. We're no longer trying to perform a certain way, to follow a certain list of rules and regulations, to gain acceptance from God. Where we learn that we're not saved by works. Or notice in verse 10, we come to the place where whoever has entered into his rest has ceased from his works. You're not trying to relate to God anymore by your good works. And the way it works really, if you're a person that relates to God by good works and bad works, then you're a person that has good days and bad days. And specifically related to your works. So, so for example, if you feel like, if you feel, and I emphasize that word feel, if you feel like that you've read your Bible enough and that you've prayed enough and that you've done your religious duties enough for that particular day, if you feel like you've done well, then you're going to feel like you have a good day. But if you skip your devotions, perhaps, or you skip out on church for a few weeks, or you're, you, you're not, oh, you're not, you haven't prayed the way that you wanted to, then you're going to relate to God feeling bad. But see, God loves you even if you don't read your Bible. And God loves you even if you don't show up to church. And God loves you even if you don't pray. Now, if we choose not to cooperate with God in those areas, we're going to suffer the consequences because the flesh, our flesh, will never lead to spiritual good. The Bible says, I know that in me, in my flesh, no good thing dwells. And so the activities of the believer come from God not trying to gain acceptance from God. In Jesus Christ today, if you've been born again, you are perfectly loved by God. And he accepts you. And he receives you. And he wants to be in fellowship with you. But if you continue on in trying to work your way to God, you continue on trying to be better than the next guy, uh, you know, because sometimes you're like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And all you're doing is comparing yourself to the next guy. But God doesn't want you to, he wants you to cease from works to rest in him. And it's in the rest of God that I find my hope and my help. And what a blessing it is to have the peace of God and the rest of God in this absolutely upside down, crazy, restless world. A true peace is very appreciated. And the peace and rest that's offered by this world is just a wretched, empty imitation. Oh, hey, Drink this substance and you will drown your sorrows. Take this pill, smoke this joint, hang out in this club, go party over here, get involved. You've got all these options the world offers to give you a temporary diversion that is no peace at all. But for the believer especially, just lops on more and more condemnation and guilt in our lives. 
for what this world has to offer, it's not true peace and it's not true rest. So what does the author tell us today? Paul says in verse 11, then let us therefore be diligent to enter in to that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. So not entering in and enjoying the rest of God is equated to disobedience, to the wilderness wandering, where you never, you're given all the energy and all the effort, but you're never arriving at the promise of God. You're never arriving at the peace of God. And he says, so let's be diligent to enter in. Now, for some of you, you might have a problem with this because it seems a little contradictory. Rest and be diligent to enter in. Rest speaks to us. You know, when we think of the word rest, I have one word. When I think of the word rest, I think of a good nap. A nap. You know, when we were little kids, we hated naps. I bet you don't hate them now. I bet you try to get a nap as much as you can. I'm certain some people are napping right now while I'm talking. Because you're just tired. It's been a long week. It's got all kinds of going on. Man, we want it. So when I think of rest, I, I think of just unplugging, taking a nap, kicking back, not thinking about anything. And, and that is a good definition of rest, but it's not the biblical definition of rest. The biblical definition of rest really could be equated to faith, living a life of trusting God in all circumstances, trusting in the promises of his word, trusting that he's with us and for us. The rest of God is living not a passive life, but really an active life. And that it's important that we diligently guard the rest of God because there's so many things that are trying to rip us off from our peace and our joy. So many things to distract us and divert us that aren't even sinful. They're just life and life's issues. There are bills to pay and kids to raise and retirements to be concerned about and a flat tire and, and so many things that just boom, boom, boom constantly. And there are some little things, there are some big things, but we're all facing things in life. And the rest of God is something that we need to diligently enter into all the time. Otherwise, we'll be in a state of disobedience. Peter said the same thing. Would you turn over in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1? It'll be to your right from Hebrews, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter said something very similar. And I think as you study all of the, the writers of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was giving the same instruction to diligently cooperate with God, to give yourself, to give forth effort and energy in your relationship with God. Because I know today there are those that would say, well, you know, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. We'll just let the Holy Spirit convince you. And listen, the Holy Spirit does lead and you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does convince and we want to be convinced by the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean we're passive. That doesn't mean we just sit back and not cooperate with God or not obey God. The Word of God is very clear that we're to diligently, actively Build up our faith and to obey God. Notice verse 5, 2 Peter chapter 1. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted 
even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. He says, for this reason. Well, what reason is that? Verse 3, as his divine power is given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Because you're born again, because the very power of God is in you, all of the resources of God are available to you, because the grace of God surrounds you, because God has put you in a position now that you're a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, now let's get on with it and add to our lives. Let's obey God. Let's walk in his wisdom. Let's add to our lives and add to our faith. Why? Because, because when we do add to our faith and diligently enter in, we enter into the fullness of our relationship with God, to the fullness, giving all diligence, its effort and energy in living our lives for Jesus Christ. It's possible to be a Christian, you know, and to love Jesus Christ and his word, but still be useless and unprofitable for the kingdom of God. Think about that. I think if today we put a poll out, uh, we, we gave you a piece of paper, or we put some electronic thing up on the screen, we just asked this question. Okay, church, how many of you really want to be useless and unprofitable in the hands of God? I mean, the numbers will be astronomical. 99.9% .9 of people listening to me say, of course I want to be useful. Of course I want to be profitable. I want my life to matter. I want, my, I want life, my life to have a purpose, something that outlasts me, something that's eternal. And yet, many today within the body of Christ are not useful in the hands of God. They aren't bearing fruit for the kingdom. You could say that you're a branch or you have branches in your life right now that aren't bearing fruit. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, and it doesn't mean that you don't love God. You're just in a season where things need to change. And, and one of the things that Jesus taught us in John 15 is that with those branches that aren't bearing fruit, the divine heavenly gardener comes and prunes those branches. Why? So that they might bear more fruit. Of all the divine power that's in you, drawing from the resources of God, God, he wants to use you. And I know you don't want to be useless, and I know I'm speaking to just a few right now, but to the few that are important in the sight of God, I know you don't want to be useless and unprofitable. And so come clean before God today. Present yourself a living sacrifice and begin to dedicate yourself more to the things of God than to what's captured your attention and taking you away from usefulness in the Master's hands. Notice, here's the tool that God uses in verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I'm telling you guys, the Bible is alive. There is no book on the planet Earth that is alive. And you can't even say it like the Bible because there's no other book, period, that's alive. You can go down to the Aurora Library and search every single book on the shelf. And unless you pull the Bible off the shelf, all of those books are dead. Only the Bible is alive. There's no book, no commentary, no dictionary, no novel, no encyclopedia. There is no other book that God has given that has life except for the Bible. This book, the one that's on your lap, the one that's on your phone, the one that's on your iPad, there is no other book that imparts life to its hearers than the Word of God. 
That's what the Bible declares of itself. It says, it declares of itself, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. These are the very words of God. This, this book doesn't just contain a few words from God. God was so specific in giving, him, giving us his revelation of himself and his will for our lives that he wrote it down for us and inspired godly men and used their hands and their personalities to write down for us what will impart life to us every single time we open it and read it. And there are five things you notice here about the Bible. Five things. Number one, the Bible is living. It contains life and it imparts life. The words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The very autographs, the very originals were inspired by God so that the translation that you have today reflecting the original manuscripts imparts life to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That all you need to do is read it. That's all you need to do. And here's a mistake that has been made by so many today, and I know it will relate to many of you, because we believe, and if we were to say this, I hope you've memorized this verse, just to be reminded of where to go when there's a need for life in, in your circumstance. You want to open the Bible. But here's what's happened over the years. What's happened over the years is that we've come to believe something different about the Bible. And it usually sounds something like this. You're, you're reading through the Bible, and you understand this, you understand this, and then you don't understand that, and then you set the Bible aside because your belief has changed to the, Bible, the parts of the Bible that I understand are living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and you know, every, every beginning of the year, we encourage you to read through the Bible. We give you a little plan to read through the Bible. And then many of you jump off and go, I'm going to read the Bible this year. Read through Genesis. Oh, this is great. Creation and life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. This is great. Get into Exodus. Oh, the, the people of God in, in slavery to Egypt. And God raises up Moses. And they're delivered. And they come out. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. What is this? And what does this mean? And then many people set it aside. Some endure Leviticus, but you know, Leviticus gives in us God's prescription for worship and honoring him in the Old Covenant. It's a very powerful book that is living and powerful. Leviticus is just as alive as the Gospel of John. You know that, right? <laughs> the whole Bible is alive and powerful. It's not just the parts you understand. It's even the parts you don't understand. That's why you need to keep reading even when you don't understand. And that's why we bring seminars here that will teach you inductively how to handle the text, how to simply read through the Bible, how to look up words, how to understand context. And, and it's, it's not like a school class. You can understand, you can understand the Bible in such a way where every time you open it up, you can just do the work in your mind as you're reading, oh, that's interesting. And I see that now. And I have a question. And, and there are a lot of great resources that, because when people don't understand the Bible, then, then there's always those that go, oh, I don't read the Bible because it has filled with contradictions. Really? Whenever somebody says that, I, I always have two responses. Number one, have you ever read the Bible? Well, uh, yeah, um, well, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so the part of the Bible you read, you got, so give me a contradiction. Give me anyone. Because I'm telling you, any perceived contradiction in the Bible, there's an answer. There's a great book. It's not in print anymore, but if you want to buy it used, you can look for it. It's called When Critics Ask. 
When Critics Asked by Norman Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. It's a book I refer to all the time. He does such a great job with Bible difficulties because there are definitely difficulties in the Bible, but not any contradictions. Another resource that you can, uh, you know, get the book, but you can also bookmark this website, blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible.org, because it's filled with Bible resources to help answer questions when you're reading the Bible. But the Bible, number one, is living. Number two, it's powerful. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word powerful and just write next to it, energy. It not only imparts life, but it imparts energy and strength to your current situation. It speaks life and power. That we've been given God's divine power and it's imparted to us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ in His Word. So that God will use His Word to provide energy to us. Thirdly, notice, it's also sharper. The Bible is sharp. And it's compared to a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. And so when you think about that, a two-edged sword cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. You mean, you say, Ed, what do you mean by that? Well, man, I'm telling you, Christians tend to use the Bible more against others than to themselves, you know? You know, like right now, you're listening to a Bible study and God's speaking to you, speaking to you, but you're, the person sitting next to you has got like bruised ribs because every time I say something, you go, that was for you, that was for you, that was for you, that was for you. Okay, so maybe it was for them. That's, a, that's cutting one way, but guess what? The sword's coming back whoosh, right to you. See, we always hear the Bible. You go, oh, I got that scripture. That's for you. Hey, you got to hear this Bible study. That's for you. Okay, so as you're hearing the Bible for other people, what's for you? Because the Bible cuts both ways. Hey, thanks for tuning our way. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And in today's Bible study, we're talking about the Bible, how it's living and powerful. And Pastor Ed, everything we do here revolves around the Word of God. And there are a variety of ways our listeners can access the teaching of the Word. Would you focus in on that as we close? Well, you know, Larry, we love to connect with people outside of our church family here, although our church family uses these tools as well. And the main place to connect with us as a church is our website, calvaryco.church. We have a free app. It's available on whatever you get your apps. Just put in my name, Ed Taylor, and the Calvary Church app should pop up right away. Download it for free. Turn on your notifications. I send out a personal encouragement every morning and then other announcements. We don't do too many, but other announcements throughout the week, but mostly that encouragement in the morning. I have a personal website, edtaylor.org. We have a radio website, aboundinggraceradio.com. I mean, we got a lot going on. Uh, we have podcasting of our regular services. We're on YouTube, Facebook, all of that. We, I have a personal podcast. I mean, there's so much, so much to serve you and love you and encourage you. And I just, I'm grateful to be a small part of the huge work that God's doing in your life. And we, we want you to join us, partner with us and encourage us. Every time you send a note, it is so encouraging to hear how God has used the ministry here. And the main website, Calvary CO, that stands for Colorado, calvaryco.church, and then edtaylor.org. Either way, those two hubs will get you connected to all the resources that we make available for free here 
at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. God bless you guys. So glad to be a part of your lives. Thanks, Ed. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to people all across the world, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come along beside us with financial and or prayerful support. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Maybe you've noticed there's a battle going on in your mind. Maybe it's lustful thoughts that have been plaguing you for years and you don't know what to do about it. In Winning the War in Your Mind, author Craig Rochelle reveals strategies he's discovered to change your mind and your life for the long term. God has something better for you than your old ways of thinking. It's time to change your mind so God can change your life. Request the book, Winning the War in Your Mind, when you call 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when we'll resume Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Hebrews on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.